We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Rooney podcast. This is episode two ten of the pod, alongside Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Moose, and I'm pissed off. They tried to replace me, people. They tried to take me and put slander on my name. They tried to oh, fill no, in. No, they tried no, to fill no. in. They tried to fill in a place that cannot be filled. They tried to. They tried to give you two Rooneys of the price of one. Three, so and I have three Rooneys. Excuse me, it's the price of one Moose. Didn't listen. Hey, guess what? Guess what? Yeah, people. Didn't listen. Just like I called my own shot. Joe wasn't on the podcast, so he wasn't going to even tune into it. Could have called got, that from a mile away. The reason I wasn't on the podcast is because I had things to do. So you know what I do when I have things to do? I uh, do those things. I don't listen to the Runes and Runes podcast. And Runes. All right? There's three Runes. And Runes. The Runes, yeah. Runes, and Runes yeah. podcast. That just doesn't have a ring to it at all. Oh. But I'm back. Rooney Cube. But I'm back. I'm taking what's mine. And what's Welcome mine back. is a dozen. What's mine is a dozen golf balls. Because we're going to be talking U.S. Open. We're going to make it some picks. We're going to give you a favorite, a long shot. We're going to talk playoff time in the NHL and in the NBA. Got a couple fun buy or sells for you because Matt is just a world traveler as well. He's seeing ballparks. He's uh, he's letting the California sun wash yeah. over him. Uh, I'd ask you how you are, but it looks like you're great, Matt. I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, no, honestly, it was it was a long. <laughs> It was a long week, and it does not feel like one week ago I was in the Ozarks. That seems like about a month ago. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm home now. I'm happy to be home now. It's good to be back. I'm happy to be back. So, so of your of your travels here, are you oh, ready boy. to like? Are, are you ready to just be like back outside, as the kids say? Are you, or were any hesitation? Like you say, you're happy to be home. Like people would kill to play at the Ozarks and then be in Santa Monica. Oh, like, don't get me wrong. The trip uh, was, was fantastic. Was this a, but- I was you know, gonna say, you know, when you're you, go, about, you didn't go straight from the Ozarks to. Honestly, I almost w- like wish I would have like done yeah. it that way because I came home for a day, so it was like, yeah, all right, so come good. home for a day, unpack, then repack because it's good. You know, it's a different trip. Ozark golfers going to you know Santa yeah. Monica for the weekend, totally different trip. You got to unpack, repack, go, work a full day, get to the airport. It's just it was I almost kind of wish that I just went like you know what I'm just gonna go straight out there. Spend an extra night in a hotel, just kind of regroup. But no, nope, they did it this way. Um, that said, worth worth every uh, minute of travel, every penny spent. Both trips were fantastic. Now, like I said, very different. But it's it's good to be home. Good to be home. Now, Matt, Matt, Matt I know you're. Um, I know you're a well traveled man, and I Thank also you. know that I also know that common sense doesn't really come to you all that easily. Sometimes, Matt, Matt Rooney is the type of guy who goes to California the week before the U.S. Open. That's the type of guy Matt Rooney is. Well, Matt Rooney's the type of guy that travels to Southern California like 12 hours and comes home like 48 hours before the U.S. Open is going to start. That's, well, I went to this Los is a Angeles, podcast, so I think you just need to, I think you just need to I think you just need to answer for yourself. So go right, ahead. That, that's fine. I went to Los Angeles, not San Diego, like two hours away. And it was a family trip. I was going out there to see the cousin Gino. I wasn't out there to go spend hundreds of dollars at the U.S. Open, which I would like to do one day, but that was just not necessarily in the cards this time around. Uh, it was it was planning around the schedules of, of when Gino and his, his lovely girlfriend Allison were going to be around. They were around uh, this weekend. This, week, this weekend worked for everybody, so that's the weekend we went out there. And we had a Dodger Shout home to game. You. I still included sports in there. There you go. I got to see a Dodger and, uh, Cousin of the lost episode. 
Shout out to the lost episode. R.I.P. Um, lost episode. R.I.P. R.I.P. In peace. Uh, Former unnamed sponsor. But, uh, Matt, we do need to talk about the U.S. Open, which is going down at Torrey Pines. Uh, Again, color me surprised. It's another major taking place at a golf course that Matt's played. Uh, We got Torrey Pines this week for the U.S. Open. It's going to be an absolute blast. Tons of guys playing really good golf right now. And some of the bigger names in the world, maybe not on their world-class stuff. Dustin Johnson, we think, maybe flips a switch last week and then kind of stumbles all over himself in the later portions of mm-hmm. the third and fourth round. He was the betting favorite a couple weeks ago. John Rahm overtakes him for the betting favorite. Before we get to the picks or anything of the sort, with your experience at Torrey Pines, Matt, how excited are you for this week ahead? Uh, I, I'm excited just because, one, we've had some historic moments course and two i feel like anytime that you not like you're not trying to brag but anytime you've played a course that you're going to see on tv it always makes it a little bit more interesting definitely a different perspective yeah it gives you just a different perspective on honestly i i think i was more excited about kiowa maybe it's because i haven't seen it as often as i've seen tory um but tory's the u.s open so i'm always going to go for the u.s open I'm, i'm excited to see it i'm excited to see how long they've made it i have not seen the length they're playing it to this weekend and i have some i have seen some clips of the rough and how long they've started to make that. And that's, that's kind of what we've learned from, from Opens past and tournaments past at Torrey. It's not the most difficult of the cor- of the courses in the world if you can stay in the fairway, but that main defense is going to be, one, the length that they're going to stretch it out to, and two, how long they're going to grow that rough. And if you are in the rough, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, so I, I think Lane's- we're going to see some, some funny lies this weekend, some, some viral yeah. clips. Of, of and it needs, it, it needs to be that because length is no longer a defense for golf courses. Mm-hmm. Make the course eight thousand. Make the course eight thousand yards, and these guys are still going to have wedge in hand on a certain number of holes, or they're still they hit their long irons or their mid irons so far and so high that taking a seven iron into a green really isn't that prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Um, this needs to be. This is now a sport. This is now a situation where if you want the final score at the U.S. Open to be somewhere closely in relation to par on one side or the other at a course like Torrey Pines. The rough needs to be so penal that you it needs to be punch out rough. Like if you miss the fairway, did you just laugh at penal? I did. Is that what that is that? It's, that, it's that, funny. Was that it's laugh funny. Was? Okay. It's funny work. Um, you need to make the rough at such a length that it's not leveling all ships. That it's actually a punishment. We we saw last year where they made the fairway so tight at Wingfoot that percentage wise, just about everybody was in the rough. Which meant, well, if I'm the furthest one down in the rough, then I have the advantage. Like Bryson mm-hmm. absolutely cracked the code per se last year and people got all nervous. Well, it's because you made the fairways too thin and everybody had the same lie and it really didn't reward the good shot because the good shot was so few and far between. Um, I want to see how those numbers bear out here at Tory if they have widen fairways not widen fairways but left fairways at a reasonable size and just taking the rough up to a level where you cannot reach the green from 150 yards out in the rough like like you need to punch out and set up a wedge and try and make par that's more what i'm hoping to see this week and that's i feel like that's how it should be at a u.s open because we're trying to see those scores lower and that you know the five unders, the seven unders, the six mm-hmm. unders, something like that. You should be at a course like Torrey Pines where that's going to be always the main defense. I mean, that's kind of what you have to do. And it, from all accounts from what, you've seen, what you're seeing of pictures, videos of the course, some of those dropping the ball in the rough clips that sometimes can look a little bit worse than they are. But still, that rough looks absolutely nasty. 
and I'm looking forward to seeing, especially guys like Bryson, if they're not looking too well off the tee, how frustrated they might get uh, having a little bit too many shots in the rough. But I, I guess, so then when you're looking to make picks this weekend, which obviously we'll get into, are you looking for driving accuracy, guys? Is, is that the first? Because you kind of have to combine no. length and accuracy this week. What are you looking for? I think, I think you always need to look for a, a nice mixture of the two. But I, I kind of drew the line at, like, if you're not averaging this, you're not winning this tournament. I don't care how accurate you are. Luke Donald's not winning this tournament. Luke Donald's mm-hmm. not going to hit. What do you call it? I mean, I'm trying to do the math now. How many 14 times 4 is 4? Luke Donald's not going to hit 48. Luke Donald's not going to hit 48 fairways or 52 fairways. Luke Donald, even if he does, I mean, he's got long iron into what I assume is going to be some tricked up green. So I, length is length is still. Is Luke Donald one still playing? The, yeah. He, he top 10 last week. He top, was. I mean, that everyone could have two weeks the top ago. 10 last. Oh, I was going to say, I remember they flipped him up on the coverage. I was like, Oh, Luke, everybody. I was like, I was like, Luke Donald's five under. I, that um, is news to me. I, I don't know if Luke Donald's in the field. I on a golf course in a long time. Okay, so Stuart Singh, I know or one, of the, one of the shorter yes, hitters yes. in the field, isn't going to win this tournament. So the the kind of the discerning factor that you got to look for here is still just length off the tee. Now, if you can combine that with accuracy and, and leave yourself some wedges on, mm-hmm. on, a, on a U.S. Open week, then you're cooking with gas because, again – I mean, we've seen the Tiger putt back in 08 a million times over. That thing's bobbling its way home. No disrespect to Torrey Pines, but it's Poana Green and your seaside, and you're not going to get the truest rolls in the world. So I think that there's going to be a lot of quirk, a lot of funkiness to this tournament, um, but I think we are going to see one of the world's best and one of the world's longest come away with a trophy. I just, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. I always love the U.S. Open. Matt, turning turning point in this tournament, like you know, Tory is more known for its standing as a municipal course. It's mm-hmm. known for its proximity to the ocean. It's not necessarily known for like a stretch of holes. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but no, we're not. Where where's where's the real turning point out at Tory Pines? That's a good question. I'm not sure there is necessarily a turning point. Um, I know 12, I believe, is that really long par 5. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's kind of where a tough stretch of holes kicks in. And for me, it's 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 always just going to be how people play that 18th hole. I think it's a very scorable par 5, but it, it's, it's also one that's a very high risk, high reward with that water right in front of it. And we saw, obviously, Tiger have to hit a perfect drive, perfect three wood into it to make that eagle. Um, or make that, I forget if it was Neil or Birdie, I'm sorry, but you know, to tie up that tournament. Um, and I, I think for me that's going to be just the, the hole to watch this weekend because you're going to have to see guys take a whole lot of risk on that hole if they want to jump up. If you're in a fairway, if you're in a good spot, we talk about the rough. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a hole where you can possibly gain a couple of shots. So it, it might be an easy answer, but for me, 18 on Torrey is always going to be the hole I'm watching partially because of its history, partially because of how much of a high-risk, high-reward hole that can be for an approach shot if you're in the fairway. Yeah, I mean, seventy-second hole of a major championship is always uh, mm-hmm. it's always great theater. As we as we saw most recently at the PGA with Phil, uh, kind of speed wobbling his way home, but getting the job done. One thing that I've noticed on tour, not just in the majors, but all season, is nobody is going out on Sunday and really grabbing it. Nobody is making the big charge on Sunday to set a number 
in the clubhouse. Nobody is, even with the lead through 54 holes, is going out there and shooting a 68 and winning by four straight. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like I feel like the last few weeks on tour, it's been like – it's been like oh, who can survive it type thing, which is maybe what we see at a U.S. Open and maybe what we expect at a U.S. Open, but not what we expect, as, as you said, at Congaree. Do you think there's anything behind – what do you think is behind that? Like the the lack of killer instinct out there on tour right now to me is is pretty um, is pretty apparent. No, I I, I noticed. Like even, I I saw not to cut you off, but that. even but even Phil's win. Yeah, it's a major no, championship. I, yeah, it's Kiowa. Yeah, it's tough, but Brooks can't make the push. I think uh, I think Phil shot a one over final round and won. Like when is when is when is someone gonna blitz it? Like what's going on right now? I don't know. I, I think it's. I saw your tweet about that. I think it was on Sunday, right? It was after the Higo yeah. win. Just how that there kind of seems to be like yeah, a closing Garrett problem. Higo I mean, like, was you bring up Brooks, set, and I know like, Brooks yeah. had his chance on uh, uh, in, the, in the PGA and just kind of didn't do it. But he's kind of the one guy I feel like in U.S. Opens past that we have seen just go out and kind of well, maybe fully not blitz, go completely grab the tournament when it was at Aaron Hills and then when it was at um, Shinnecock. I, I feel like mm-hmm. those were kind of two tournaments you can point to where he kind of went out and did it. Um, I mean, I, DJ in the U.S. Open at Oakmont, I guess, didn't really – he kind of had to, but more or less just put like, even part because he had a kind of big, bigger lead going into Sunday. Yeah, I, I don't really know. It doesn't seem like there's that one guy that's that you know is going to be nails every Sunday. I feel like everybody – it's, it's almost like we talk about how everyone shows flashes being the best. I feel like all these guys have, have shown flashes on Sundays, but there's not like – Again, I don't mean to bring up Tiger because Tiger is a unique case, obviously. But there's no one with that iron will on Sunday that just you know if he's in the lead, if he's right around you know the top two, top three final pairing, it's his tournament to lose. There doesn't really seem to be that guy. It seems to be who's just going to step up on a weekly basis, which might just speak to how deep the tour is, and, and maybe there is a little bit of lack of a killer instinct in, in a lot of these guys. But it also might suggest that yeah. there's, there's more talent in that second wave, second tier of golfer now than there used to be as well. For sure. I would just love to see a 54-hole leader go out there and say, I'm playing the course, I'm not playing you. Like, I'm going to go shoot a 65 and put this thing to sleep. I think that there's a lot of that still in DJ. I think that there's a lot of that in JT. I think that there's a lot of that in Spieth. Mm-hmm. But those guys in those scenarios, I guess they haven't been in those scenarios all that often this season. I mean, obviously Jordan's had his moments. but um, We kind of you know, saw jo- JT do it at the players a little bit. Yeah, yeah, like JT on 18, yeah, he gets away with a little snappy hook, but like goes out and does what he needs to do on a Sunday. I, uh-huh. I just don't think we've seen a whole lot of that. I'm hoping that we see that here this week so we can feel like we have a U.S. Open champion and not somebody who won the U.S. Open. Yeah, that just outlasted the field and someone actually went out and won it. Uh, we'll, get to, we'll get to picks here in a moment, but first we do have to talk about the uh, – 46-year-old elephant in the room that is uh, – or 50-year-old – 51-year-old elephant in the room now? 46, what am I thinking? I'm thinking of Brady. Um, the 51-year-old elephant in the room, which is Phil Mickelson, trying to get the career grand slam in his backyard at Torrey Pines. Yeah, sorry. Com- completely bungled that. That's but okay. uh, Phil coming off, smooth. coming off a PGA championship, uh, lefty – he's getting a lot of attention that he otherwise wouldn't be coming into this. I think we all kind of wrote off the idea of him – completing the career grand slam, let alone, you know, winning another major at all. But uh, he wins at Kiowa and now people are starting to get excited about his chances here. 
uh, at Torrey Pines, a place where you know he, he grew up and played. But that was prior to the renovi- renovation. The renovation. So even to his own uh, admission, he hasn't played it a whole lot since the renovation outside of the Travelers Championship. Um, what kind of what kind of chance do you give Phil this week? Because the odds I don't feel like match his actual no. chances out there. Like I think the odds reflect the amount of money coming in on Phil. Currently, I'm looking at fifty to one on William Hill Sportsbook on Nicholson. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's. I, I hope I'm wrong because I love Phil. I think it, it, it's better when he at least makes the weekend and is hanging around. But we're talking about obviously guys who need to hit the ball far, which I mean, granted, Phil can do still. But you also need to kind of be in the fairway a lot this weekend. If there's one thing Phil has trouble doing, it's being in the fairway. Um, and, and I feel like we could see him get into a decent amount of trouble early on in those first couple rounds. And I, whether he'd never admit it and probably would never even allow it to enter his headspace, but there's got to be some little bit of, you know, easing back. Like I, I just won the PGA, all that kind of stuff still in that head. That's I, I would have to 100%. feel like. Uh, even if he would never admit it, he'd probably never even think it was happening. But dude just won the PGA at 51 years old. You're not going to see the next. I know this is the one, the U.S. Open is the white whale, all that kind of stuff. It has the storylines. It's his home course, all that kind of stuff. But, like, I just I don't see it. I, I kind of think I would look up his, his missed the cut odds this weekend, honestly. And I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope next week I can come back and replay that clip and we can laugh at me for it. But. I think that's kind of more what I'm looking at for Phil. I, I really think Phil's still, like, not even halfway through his victory lap, like, telling stories about Kiowa right now. He shouldn't so, be either. I know, but I, I just don't think that if, – if his question, if his self-imposed question coming into the PGA and coming into these big tournaments is, can I maintain focus for 72 holes? Well, winning the PGA, I think, was the worst thing for him to maintain focus at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I completely agree with you that – I do hope he makes the weekend. I do hope it's maybe there's a whisper of hope for him at some point that we can get excited and tweet about, but I, uh, I don't see it happening either. Let's talk about who we do see it happening for. Let's get to our picks. Again, it is a major championship here on the Booster Nudes podcast, so there are a dozen golf balls of the winner's choice at hand. Two dozen or a dozen? Uh, how, about, how about two dozen, two dozen the long for the long shot, shot one dozen two for do- favorite, yeah. Love it, love it. So what we're going to do here is we're both going to pick two golfers. Um, last time around for the PGA, uh, I think all four of ours missed the cut. Uh, or no, uh, a speed, what did I had speed, but he, he didn't It didn't, make, it he did, it didn't go well. It didn't, it didn't look good, go well. it didn't look good. So someone might not get any golf balls. Somebody might get two dozen, somebody might get a dozen. Um, if, you're, if your golfer hits... If your favorite hits, it's a dozen golf balls. If the long shot hits, it's two dozen. With that said, Matt Rooney, I will let you lead us off with your favorite to win the 2021 U.S. Open. Uh, I'm going to go Jordan Spieth. Uh, similar reason for you took him in the PGA. He's, he's playing good golf, and I, I, just, I think at some point he's going to have to start making putts. And one of these weekends he's going to, and when he does that, I think he's going to – you were talking about guys on Sunday who could run away with it. I think as, as well as he's playing, as well as he's played this year, if he kind of just starts rolling some putts in, I think there's a guy who could run away with it. So it, it's more of a – it's partially a, a fan feel because I love watching Jordan, love rooting for him. But I just – the way he's playing this year, I, I like his value. I got him on DraftKings here just 19 to 1, mm-hmm. um, which I, I, I think most places have him around 14, 15, 16. But if, if you can get him somewhere around there, I love those odds. Big fan of him. Yeah. I'm going to take Jordan. Yeah, I like those odds too, and that's you know just he's had an absurd number of top tens and top twenty five finishes this year. So 
uh, just from a percentage standpoint, you got a guy right there who I think is going to be in the mix, or at least the numbers tell us that he is going to be. And like you said, it is always better when Jordy is around the uh-huh. top of the leaderboard. So I like that pick. Uh, for my favorite pick, I am once again going with um, distance in mind. If you look at the last five U.S. Opens, it's been won by Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka twice, Gary Woodland, and Bryson DeChambeau. So mm-hmm. four of the longest yeah. guys on tour. Um, you got to have length. You got to drive the ball. You got to drive it somewhat accurately. And right now, I don't think there's anyone in the world doing it like John Rahm is. And that's why he's positioned as the odds on favorite to win it. But they call him favorites for a reason. So I'm taking Rahm at 10 to 1 as my favorite to win the U.S. Open. Just the storylines leading up to it with him having a six shot lead at the Memorial and being sent into quarantine. And everybody costed him $1.7 million and just the heartache that went with that. He's had a lot of time to sit with that um, in quarantine. He's had a lot of time to think about what he wants to do at Torrey Pines. He's had a lot of time to think that he's the best player in the world without a major championship to his name. And I think he's ready to rid himself of that moniker. So I think that uh, John Rahm gets it done this week, uh, largely in part to the success that he's had with the driver all season long. He's been extremely consistent. And it's a place that he's had success in the past. He is a Traverse Championship winner. Um He's got good vibes there. I believe that's where he proposed and married uh, his his wife, uh, proposed to and married his wife in oh. San Diego and right around Torrey Pines. So I think he's going to conjure up some good vibes and get the job done at Torrey. John Rahm's my pick to win. I like it. I mean, it, he's up until the, the COVID uh, issue with um, he was playing as good a golf as anybody at Jack's place. He's up by six shots. He's running away with it. Largest, only, largest only, 54 hole lead of the season. And he can't yeah. go play the final round. <laughs> my, my, my only, only, only concern with him is we've talked about in the past. He can be a little bit of a, of a hothead sometimes. Uh, yeah. It, it's, I'm interested to see how he responds to that. He's either going to respond, I think incredibly positively and come out and play like pissed off well, or he's going to come out and respond like, not great and a little bit too much in his own head about you know pressing a little bit wanting to run away with it i just his, his head his head space is as volatile as anybody on tour uh, but still he's the way he's playing the way he's striking the golf ball right now he's never a bad pick going into a tournament especially one like this one i think it's a little uh, fenwick high school defense uh, don heldman ippo i play pissed off i think that's where we're gonna get a john round right there Right. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about some long shots here. The two dozen pick uh, to define long shot just for the listeners. We said uh, nothing shorter than forty to one. So Matt, with that said, who's your long shot? I'm going to go with Abe Answer. Um, okay. He's he's not the bomber that we've talked about, but he's also not a short hitter. Always, he's averaging right around two ninety, two ninety one on the year. Which again, he's not up there with the Brysons, obviously. But if you're averaging around three hundred yards, two ninety, I, I still think that's plenty long enough. He's third in driving accuracy on tour right now, and you, you look at how he's playing lately. He missed a cut in the European tour last weekend, but before that, he's got T14 at the Schwab, T8 at the PGA, uh, second at Wells Fargo, fifth at the Valspar. He's playing pretty decent golf this year. He's been around there on majors. He was there the, the November Masters. He was kind of hanging around and, until DJ kind of pulled away. Um, I, I like his odds at 45-1 to 1 if he's keeping the ball in the fairway. Maybe he has a, has a week where he's a little bit juiced because it's the U.S. Open. He's pumping the ball a little bit further. Uh, that, that's, my, that's my long shot for the week. Abe answered. Love the way he's playing. Give me, give me him at 45-1. to 1. I like Abe. I like what he's done at uh, major championships, but I think he's more suited to win a Masters, a PGA. Um, he's played well. 
in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. I don't think his game lends to a U.S. Open or an Open Championship. I think that length, that 290 in today's on today's tour is just prohibitive. Yeah. Um, that's been the word of the day. But I think that at, at 290, I think you're just a little bit too far back, especially if they're going to length this thing this thing out. So I can't say that I like that pick. I'd be lying to you, Matt. But that's I, do okay. like Abe, I do like Gabe's answer. So if he's in the mix, I'll be rooting for him. Uh, no, I won't be because I don't want to bite. Yeah, you don't offense. have to lie. But my it's long fine. shot pick at 50 to 1 can pound the ever loving out of the ball. I'm taking uh, Daniel Berger at 50 to 1 as my long shot pick. Um, I don't know if it's just because the. I'm just going with. I'm going with that swing path. I think Daniel Berger and John Rahm have very similar swings. They kind of have that casty, set it high at the top, drop it in type swing. So I'm just rooting for that swing path this week. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I know that's not really sound analysis, but um, Berger has had his moments this year already. Um, I believe he won. Where did he win this year? Um, it, it, it's escaping me at the moment, but he's he's consistently one of those guys who we see on leaderboards and. Uh, you know, when I'm looking for a long shot, I'm looking for the perfect intersection of good odds, and it wouldn't surprise me if that guy won. And I think Daniel Berger is the definition of like wouldn't surprise me if he won. You want to talk about you want to talk about bombers, guys that you want to, if if that's what we're looking at here for U.S. Open guys that come out and surprise. Cam Champ. I'm going to say Wilco Nienaber. Is that Nienaber? Wilco. Come again with that? Wilco Nienaber. Nienaber, the South African guy from Congo. brother. Brother, that's that. No, uh, you're talking about Garrick Higo. No, Garrick Higo was the one that won. Twenty-one-year-old Wilco Nienaber had was averaging three thirty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did tee. see. I did. There see were two that South Africans that came out and surprised this weekend. I, so, I just hope you I want to talk about bombers. I believe I saw his odds on the board, which means he's got to be in the field unless DraftKings is just trying to get people to bet a guy not blank. He's I at three hundred to one. He averaged three thirty-seven nice. and a half off the tee last weekend. Can we can we, get, can we get odds on knee neighbor leader through uh, round one? Ooh, I like I, that. I, I would just love to be able to say knee neighbor with the knee knocker. I, I, oh, that'd be great. Like I, I wish I <laughs> round one finishing position. Let's find him. Let's find him. It's not up. Not even up right now. So we can't even. We can't get Wilco. All but right. Yeah, well, we will keep you Wilco. abreast of the situation there. Guy's a um, bomber. Twenty-one-year-old mm-hmm. South African was dominating the European tour. Those are the picks. Matt Rooney's card goes Jordan Spieth and Abe answer with, with a, a little book, with a hint of Wilco. Honorable mention to Wilco knee neighbor. Joe's uh, me a nothing. sleeve if Wilco knee neighbor. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll buy you a sleeve of golf balls uh, if Wilco knee neighbor wins with the South African flag on it. Um, I Deal. my my picks go uh, John Rahm, Daniel Berger. Uh, we hope you enjoy the 2021 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have all your wrap up on the back end. And here's to hoping that some point on the weekend we get the Bryson and Brooks pairing because that's what the world needs. That's what the world deserves. We really should have just gotten it for round one. I don't know why we didn't. I, I, feel, like the, I feel like the USGA couldn't do that. Like I, I, I wish they, they would, but if they do that, they're essentially – they're putting both of those guys in a bad scenario. You need to be able to go out there for your first 36 holes and play the golf course that you want to play. I, I don't know that putting them in the group pairing together in the first two rounds would have – I feel like one of them doesn't make the cut. No, That's all well and good, be, but I'm also could be the case here. I want yeah. for my own personal – yeah, but think about Enjoy. think about that. That's a fabricated moment. Think about if that moment falls in our lap on a Saturday at Torrey Pines at the U.S. Open. Like, come on, that would be that'd be great, so much better. But so I just better. don't think it will. I mean, the odds tell you. I hope won't. you're right. So we'll I hope see. you're right. 
Uh, Matt, we do have to talk about playoff uh, basketball, playoff hockey. Uh, exciting action last night in Vegas between the uh, Canadiens and the Golden Knights. You know, we were last time we spoke, uh, we were both super high on the Avalanche, thinking you know it's over, and then Vegas. Vegas. Absolutely surges. Are, are they now? Are they now the favorites in your eyes? I st- I'm still leaning towards Tampa as a favorite. Tampa. But, I mean, it, it's hard to go. I mean, it, it's hard to not look at what Vegas is doing and, and be impressed with them at one, and, and then think they have a pretty darn good chance to win. I think we talked about it before how this round's going to kind of look like. Uh, the Islanders came out in one game one. That surprised me. I still don't think they win that series. I think Vegas is going to kind of cruise through Montreal. Carey Price is probably going to do his best to keep that close, but Vegas is just the better team, and they have a goaltender playing really, really well too, so I think they wrap that one up in about four or five. I just I love the way Tampa's playing right now. I think they have the best goaltender in the NHL. Um, I, I know they lost game one, but I think they come out and win that series, and it's going to be hard for me to bet against them just because of how deep they are and who they have in net. But I think if we get a Vegas-Tampa Stanley Cup final, that thing's going to be an absolute barn burner and going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, if there's any, if you need any further proof that goaltending wins championships, it's like pitching in baseball. You simply mm-hmm. can't win without it. We're looking at, what, Carey Price, Andre Vasilevsky. Mark uh, andre Fleury, who's having Mark a career resurgence with Vegas this year. And then uh, Semyon Varlamov, who's... like. Uh, Monsters. Been one of the more consistent goaltenders throughout you know, the last five years. They're, so, they're all really good goalies. Really good goalies. And all five teams play really good defense. That's yeah. kind of what it comes down to a lot of times in the playoffs. Yeah. We saw that with the Blackhawks uh, during those runs. You're not going to unless you have unless you're the 2010 Blackhawks. You're not going to get away with Antti Niemi and Net all that often. You just kind of yeah. need one of those guys that you can ride the hot hand sometimes. And all these teams have that. Um, it's been really fun to watch the Islanders uh, and that fan base because you have. I'm rooting for here. them because they're so fun to watch, and I'm so into that fan base. And like, I remember like they, they kind of. I, I remember what it was like, kind of before the Hawks had won, and that's kind of how like yeah. how that building feels right now. Obviously, the Islanders are a team that's been there before in the '80s and such. And I'm not saying they're a team that has the potential to do what the Hawks did, but just like they're a t- they're a fan base that is so into that team and, and loves that team. And you know, this is kind of the first time they're they're this close. But I just I don't. It, I hope they can get by Tampa. I just I don't see it. I think Tampa is the best team left. A uh, friend of the podcast, Mike Mayenza, was at game one last night between the Golden Knights oh. and Les Habitants. He's in Vegas for some work and said that that building playoff atmosphere is the only thing that he's ever heard that comes close to the UC. So uh, Ve- Vegas's barn is jumping right now as well. They're back to full uh, capacity, right, I believe? Back to, yes. back to full capacity. Uh, Wayne Newton was in the crowd last night. It, it's just a full it's just a show. It. Right, some Dar- Wayne Newton, Darlin, some John Taffer. Darlin Dankeshane, uh, 1-0 lead for Vegas in that series after a commanding win. Uh, the Islanders hold that 1-0 lead over Tampa, but as we said, better team there, and series price still tells you that uh, um, that Tampa's Tampa the way is, to go. Is, is the team to beat in that matchup. Uh, Matt, we do have to talk NBA playoffs too before we get to a little buy or sell here. I mean, I don't even know how to approach this right now because it's really appearing as if the championship is going to be a last man standing scenario, Mm -hmm. a war of attrition scenario. The Brooklyn Nets are down Kyrie and KD. Excuse me, Kyrie and And um, James Harden. Harden. The Suns 
are healthy right the now the because, they, because they made it out of that Chris Paul shoulder. They're not going to sit and wait for a week and a half because all three other series right now are tied at 2-2. The Clippers looked great last night. Kawhi has a knee with three minutes left in the game. We don't know how serious that is. Uh, Donovan Mitchell has an ankle, played through it last night, played really well. Um, Philly absolutely blunders an 18-point lead a night ago because Joe Embiid didn't have any lift left in his torn meniscus it's knee. Said 0 for 12 there in the, in the second half. 0 for 12 in the second half. It's just been like nothing I've seen before in terms of the way that injury has affected the outcomes of games and series. Mm-hmm. With that said, Matt, like I just – I don't know if I'm excited about the parity that creates because I right now feel less sure – about the NBA champion than I have at any point this season. See, that's why I am excited about the parity it creates because I don't. Like, so you I, like I, injury? I no, I don't like injury, but I like <laughs> on, like I like, I like not. No, me too. Me too. Movie. Yeah, uh, and it's it, I'm not happy that this is kind of how we're getting there, mm-hmm. um, but we kind of now don't. Hey, we have no idea what's going to happen. Whatever it is, two three weeks from now when the NBA finals are, are underway, we don't know who's going to be in that. And I think that's good for basketball. Not, it's not good for basketball that Kyrie, uh, Kyrie Irving and James Harden are down. And I hope we get them back healthy. And I hope they can at least one of the two of them can finish that series with the Bucks because I think it doesn't do how good of a series that can be justice if it's just KD trying to win it by himself. But I guess mm-hmm. if there's if one of those three is good enough to go win that series by himself, it's, it's it probably is KD. Um, and on the other side, I, I'm, I'm just. I'm impressed with how the Clippers have responded to going down 0-2 and kind of those two blowouts. Paul George has been not great throughout the playoffs, but he's kind of responded when he had to. I saw 31 last night. Um, uh, Kawhi's doing Kawhi things, which is great, and I hope that series continues to go. But I'm impressed with the Clippers. As slow as they start a lot of the – they've started some of these series, they're really responding fairly well. If they Uh, win this – See how this one goes. If they win this series, they'll be the first team in NBA history to erase two separate 0-2 deficits in the playoffs. So I, I don't know why they need to go down 0-2, why they sleepwalk through those first two games. I don't know what Ty Lue's not saying or saying to them in those first two games, but they've really put themselves behind the eight ball in these first two series, and it appears mm-hmm. as if they're going to get away with it. I don't know moving forward if you get away with that against the Phoenix Suns or against whoever's coming out of the East, which – with the injuries and the severity of those injuries to Brooklyn, it looks like it's going to be Philly to me coming out of the East. But you know, all of that's still up in the air. If Embiid's still banged up, is it is it going to be? You know, like yeah, it's, because it's because he's been banged up. He's been banged up and given us forty last night. I feel like is the exception to the rule. I think he just okay. needs a little rest. He needs R&R. to. Um, yeah, and I, and I don't know how much the knee had to do with last night's performance. I think it was an embarrassing performance for him in a huge spot. And that was his um, that was his justification after the fact, which is fair and it's fine. But Bubba, we saw you go for forty, and we saw you go for thirty-five on that same knee. What tonight? It didn't feel good, which could very well be the case. But I don't know. I think that that was a defense mechanism there out of uh, out of the process. Because if if KD can't get one of those guys back out of the East, it just doesn't. It just it it looks like it's going to be the Bucks. Yeah. And it looks like it's and and the Bucks are pretty the Bucks are healthy right now. So again, we sit here and we disrespect Milwaukee, but could it be the year that they kind of 
backstep into their best finish yet? Yeah, it could be. Uh, but for the purposes of tonight, I'm just really excited to see Kevin Durant go for 50, 10, and 10 because his player prop right now is sitting at 35 and a half. Dude's going to get 30 shots up. It's going to be God. exciting to see what the Slim Reaper can do alone. And uh, say a prayer, knock on wood, that his health stays in check because – you know, we're talking about the guy with the reconstructed Achilles tendon shouldering the load, and he's looked awesome, mm-hmm. and he's passed every physical, mental, and otherwise test here in his return to basketball. Um, I just worry if the guy's got to do everything on both ends of the court with no help. Um, maybe it'll be a big Joe Harris game. Maybe somebody else will step up. But that's Blake, a big night. vintage Blake big Griffin. Block A. Yeah, it's going to be a big night for, uh, for Slim, so excited to watch that for sure. Yeah, that's going to be great. That's, that, that is tonight, too, right? Game Game 5 is tonight. Correct. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, uh, Game 5 is coming Tuesday, your way. Tuesday night, Tuesday, 7.30. Tuesday night. Uh, we know the Muslim Noons listeners do uh, devour this podcast the second it is posted, so we should be fine with that uh, with that time dated there. But if it, uh, but if you are listening to this after, we'll know that I had the pick, right? Whoever won. That's that's what I said. I like uh, it. Matt? Let's uh, let's dive into buy or sell. Maybe a little. Do we have any mailbag this week or no? We don't have a mailbag this week. Okay, but we got buy or sells. I'm going to lead us off here. Uh, you're you're fresh. You're fresh off the West Coast. I am. You made you made your way to Chavez Ravine to watch a little Dodgers baseball because why the heck not? Yeah, tell you're me out about, there. Uh, I'm going to ask you buy or sell, but I also want you to tell me about the entire Dodger experience, sure. Matt. Buy or sell, because I'm sure you indulged. I did. The Dodger dog. It's the first thing we did when we got there. Uh, you had much a Dodger dog. Scarf down a wiener. I, I got to be honest with you. They, it, they're, it's, we're spoiled here in Chicago. I'll, I'll start by Best that. dogs in the world. We are, we are not just the dogs with just everything they have. to, And even Wrigley, I'm not, not just to promote the sell. Wrigley has some really good food options, too. We're, we're spoiled with the food here in Chicago. The Dodger dog is... It's a hot dog. It's it's there. It's it, it's about that. That's about it. That's as, as nice or as anything I can say to it. I ate it. I would eat it again. I would never really go out of my way for it. It's it's the branding. So I I, I sell it as as a, this elite stadium food item. I buy it as yeah. It's a hot dog. So if it's presented to me, I will, <laughs> I, I will eat it because it's a hot dog. How about that? The never stadium itself down, though never turned down the glizzy. The stadium itself is. I I had been there once before. <laughs> Um, back, uh, this had to be like 10, 15 years ago, but we, we were in the outfield seats at the time, didn't know those bleacher seats were detached from the rest of the stadium. So we weren't able to actually go uh, and explore the rest of the stadium. This time we got seats in the stupid, it, 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 it's, it's Open has, up a concourse. It, it just... has since been changed. You can okay. get around the stadium now, which is nice. What we were, you, you know, we were down, we were out in right field now, kind of by the foul pulse. We're in the main part of the stadium. It's, it's, I knew it was a big stadium. It is a massive, massive stadium. It's 56,000 people. Soldier Field, for example, is right around like 66,000. So it's not that much, not that much smaller than Soldier Field. Um, and it's, it does, it's one of those older stadiums, like you would say about Wrigley or Fenway, that has done a great job of keeping that like vintage old school like feel to it while also modernizing it to the extent that they have to, to kind of keep it up to date, yeah. to keep it to the point where people still want to go to it. It's, it's an awesome stadium. The fans are awesome. I, I think the only knock on it is uh, the, you hear it all the time, the entrance and exit all kind of feed through just one little area. <laughs> so it, we got, we did the right thing and it was a five, nothing game. We, we left after the bottom of the eighth and just were like, yeah, that, that was great. Dodgers win. Uh, let's go. And we got out and beat the traffic, but man, you could see with, with 56,000 at a playoff game or something like that. 
you'd be looking at like an hour, hour and a half to get out of that stadium because every single parking lot just funnels back to this one road and it would just be an absolute mess. Uh, but, but all in all, great stadium. Fans are awesome. Uh, it, it's, it's a highly, highly, highly recommend. All right, so we got a highly recommended uh, Chavez Ravine for some Dodgers baseball if you're ever out there on the West Coast. Um, getting to see the ballpark with MLB royalty like your girlfriend. Yeah, are you? Well, we we did a little what, uh, critiquing of the. Of I was going to say, what is what is that? What does that illuminate that maybe you're not tuned into if we're, you're we're not keep, sitting we're, there? No, we're just, nothing. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary outside of we're we're keeping an eye on the MC. I, I feel like her and okay. I. Are, her and I are in, we're, we're in lockstep. We both wanted to take a lap of the stadium, check out the food options, see a few different angles, kind of explore. We, we got to go to, uh, to the upper deck, and we got one picture that was from, like, way up high, which is really cool. But mm-hmm. the, the first thing we noticed was, was, is there an MC, and, and when is that MC coming up, and how can we critique it? We thought it was just we, the, the, the MC didn't come on to like, the fourth or fifth inning, which is a little bit weird. Uh, we, we thought it was just an average performance from their MC. It was no Alyssa Bergamini at the cell performance. We'll, we'll say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's uh, that's like Jacob Degrom, Garrett Cole, sticky stuff, playing with an advantage type. That that's that's the best you're going to see in the yeah, league. So, exactly. I, I don't know to hold the rest of the league to that standard. It, it seems a bit unfair, but I, I do appreciate the. Uh, I, the I'm very. In your I'm also very lucky to have a girlfriend who was probably more excited to go to Dodger Stadium than I was, that's, and yeah, I was that, incredibly excited to go to Dodger Stadium. You can't. You can't buy that sort of interest no you can't yeah uh do you have anything for me matt uh i do have a couple questions for you would you like to go we'll stick on baseball because we started baseball there okay Sox lost a tough one last night it was a very solid good baseball game they just they lost a good game to raise team cubs lost to the to the mets who've been red hot but but I, i believe the cubs stayed in first place if not they're they're only a half game out there um cubs and Sox both playing great baseball up until last night Buy or sell this? The city of Chicago has two Central Division champions. Um, I'm going to tentatively buy it because I believe that the White Sox go on to win the division quite mm-hmm. handedly. The Cubs, to me, still I don't love the roster. Still, Every, they're producing offensively. The pitchers are outperforming expectation. But when your pitchers are outperforming expectation, sometimes that's a world built on a house of cards mm-hmm. and that sort of thing catches up with you. Um, it seems like they're playing great team baseball right now. They have a great vibe around them. Rizzo's leading the way with a bit of a chip on his shoulder due to the whole ne- contract negotiation things. You got guys like Wisdom who are stepping up and just pounding the baseball. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's sustainable because of the rest of the division is just sort of okay. Like what Milwaukee – Milwaukee and St. Louis are your two biggest contenders there. And yep. outside of the fact that we just assume St. Louis is going to be good come September, August, September type season, I, I just neither of those teams have really jumped off the, the screen at me. So I think that because of the competition or lack thereof in the NL Central that the Cubs could win the division. I think that the White Sox um, are like – and we, we did this yesterday and – we like to sit there and make lists and power rank when we're in the green room watching games. And we pulled everyone in the in the newsroom, and every single person's power ranking had the Chicago White Sox in it. Now, that means a lot because these are sports fans. These are people that work in sports. But the Chicago White Sox are not a 
casual club that people are aware of when they're just okay. Like, yeah. this is a White Sox team that has demanded the attention of the general baseball public. And I think that and that, that's not without reason. That's not without, you know, people have seen what this team is capable of. We get the news that uh, Aloy might be coming back soon. Robert's going to be a little bit down the road. This team is only going to get better. And outside of Lance Lynn, like, the pitching staff is producing the way we expect them to. I'd even say Giolito is falling short of expectation. Lance Lynn has sort of filled in in that absence, yeah. leading the American League at least prior to last night in earned run average, 7-1. and one. I mean, now 7-2 and two on the season. But they've got all the pieces, and they're at the top of a lot of people's power rankings right now, next to or one slot below the Rays, who appeal one off of them there on Monday. Yeah, the, the Rays, I... It's it's a it's it's your typical good race team. It's just a whole bunch of no names. A lot of, you're looking through their lineup. You're looking through the bullpen arms coming out last night. Like, who are these guys? And they just kind of come out and dominate. But I think I think Lance Lynn said it fairly well last night when asked about you know this this World Series not World Series but like possible ALCS preview. Like, how do you guys downplay you know how important the series is? And Lance Lynn's quote was, "It's June. Nobody gives a shit." Uh, which, <laughs> I know, love Lance Lynn, which is because not, of how is you know, after every half inning. It's awesome. the The amount of mfs that he's he's yelled after big outstanding <laughs> innings is great. But and he's not totally accurate there. I mean, it, it is a decently and it, it's a measuring stick series, and it, you do want to get experience in these types of games. So come October, you're not foreign to playing tight games against good teams. But it's also something that a young locker room that hasn't really been in a lot of those games kind of needs to hear. Guys, we lost a tough one. It's June. Nobody cares. Let's just go out and play baseball tomorrow, and we'll see these guys in October. And I, I love that veteran leadership that Lance Lynn's brought to that that clubhouse. And I think it was actually it was a Blue Jays series. I don't remember if it Lynn's start or not, but Evan Marshall got a big out against the Blue Jays. I think it was the seventh or eighth inning to end an inning, and they were up. It was either two to one or three to one at the time. And somebody, you know, tweeted the video of his reaction saying, this is awesome. And Marshall responded to the tweets like, if you guys think Lance Lynn doesn't have an impact on our clubhouse, just watch this video. Like, it, it looked like Lance Lynn kind of celebrating after the inning like he's done. So that's been an incredibly impactful trade, not only on the field, obviously, as he's a Cy Young candidate right now, but off the field in the clubhouse as well from a leadership standpoint. And that guy just looks like he was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> it's uh it's they're they're not only one of the most talented ball clubs they're just they're fun as well and i think that that's uh, not lost upon the public um, no no it, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do at the trade deadline and once they're getting eloy and once they're getting robert back uh i mean they have as good a deadline pieces coming back as anybody and still might go out and add another piece so that'll be fun to watch but the cubs yeah. I, i'm with you on the cubs they're going to have a chance because that division isn't very good, and you're always going to be worried about a St. Louis Cardinals team, especially with someone like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt in our lineup, what they can do in terms of getting hot for a month or a week or something and kind of carry a team for a little while. But right now, they're, they're playing terrible baseball. They're not going to play terrible baseball all year, but if the Cubs can kind of keep riding the ship and, and, and playing pretty solid baseball during the stretch while the Cardinals are down, that might be enough to, to build up a little bit of a lead where they're going to give themselves a chance in October. and. If they don't sell pieces at the deadline, which I'm not, I hope they don't for for their sake and for the city's sake. Uh, I think they could be right there in October because, like you said, the, the division's not very good this year, and the, the, why not the Cubs at this point? Yeah. Uh, what else you got for me, Matt? Um, college football playoff. 
Ah, uh, yes. Is it officially expanding to twelve, or is that a proposal? No, I think it's. I think it's still a proposal. Okay, but it sounds like, but where there's this much smoke, there's usually fire. Yeah. Um, it seems like we're going to be going to a college football playoff of twelve teams as soon as twenty twenty four. Correct. I think we have one more year of the four teams set up. Uh, it would be your top four ranked Power Five conference champions get the bye week. The four or the five through twelve seeds will play quarterfinal games on campus. Uh, with the the top four seeds there hosting, uh, buy or sell the new college football playoff proposed format. I sell it. I don't think it's a good. I don't think it's a good idea. I think that it's very simple uh, to expand to eight teams and sort of keep things in, in a uh, similar competitive scale as they are right now, and just give us another week. Now, I do like the idea of the twelve team playoff uh, incentivizing great play in a mm-hmm. conference championship with those four buys, but those four buys then become prohibitive to be, there it is prohibitive, uh, those four buys then become a, an issue for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish who are barred from a buy no matter if they're 12-0 and 0 or not because they're not a conference champion. Yes, um, but at the same time, Notre Dame also kind of has a buy during conference championship week. So this that game just essentially becomes their conference championship. Perfect, but then, you, but then you got to play one of the top 12 teams in the nation the following week where you should be sitting again getting ready for one of the top six teams or one of the top yeah one of the top six other five teams Mm -hmm. in the nation i just think that that's not even my biggest concern because that's that's specific to the team that i root for and it's not the end of the world if that's the case if notre dame's going to win a national title game buy or no buy they need to start doing things a little bit differently my biggest issue here is now with a 12-team playoff, we've completely told the other 240-something teams in Division One college athletics to kick rocks. The rest of bowl season does not matter. And I'm not saying that the Meineke Car Care Bowl and the Chick-fil-A Bowl are points of great pride for these guys. But with a 12-team playoff, if you're team number 13 through team number 252, or however many teams there are, you... You don't matter. It doesn't matter. The intrigue to those games, the intrigue to bowl season outside of these 12 teams, to me, goes away. And it's already been going away. Yeah, that's my counterpoint. But this is is the death stroke for it. This is the standing there, head-bobbing, finish him Mortal Kombat moment for the rest of bowl football. Because you can build artificial... um, intrigue around those games you can build up storylines you the NCA can make uh, they can they can match make in a way that makes us want to watch those games if you're taking the 12 best teams out of that pool well then you're t- that's that's another eight teams right now that aren't in the college football playoffs. So the next eight teams, so that's four matchups. You're essentially removing the four most intriguing bowl games during bowl season. You're ma- Now you're making them within the constructs of this college football playoff, but I'm yeah. from an intrigue standpoint, the, the general public and the intrigue into the rest of bowl season outside of whatever your champions tournament is and the size of it, it's diminished because those teams – are on the other side of the line competing for a national championship and not competing in this sort of, I don't know, I don't want to call it an exhibition, but in, mm-hmm. in this uh, matchmaker's heaven that is 
the first week in January. You know, yeah, I, like, I think that just for, that's what bowl season had become. I mean, you saw that you, you've got teams making the Fiesta Bowl, teams making the Rose Bowl, and you have their best players. And I'm not blaming the best players. I think they probably made the right decision for themselves. But you have guys like Christian McCaffrey, or no, I'm sorry, he wasn't in the, uh, he was not in a, a BCS bowl at the time. But like, you that's got it, no. these, you got these superstars saying, "Well, game doesn't matter, so I'm just going to kind of sit yeah. out." So, and, and that's just that's not going to go away anytime soon. So I think what you do by expanding this to 12 games, you keep those guys intrigued a little bit more longer. And yeah, the rest of bowl season is never going to be what it was 10, 15 years ago. That's just never going to be the case. The games are still going to be there. These kids are still going to get a chance to play if they want to one more, and that's fine. But I, this, what this also does, it makes the regular season, I think, a lot more relevant because it means one loss. If, if you're Alabama and you lose a game early on, of course your season's not over. You're going to be right back. You need to lose at least twice if you're Bama to not make the college football playoff. But if you're a middling team like, a, I don't know, like Texas A&M, who obviously they're not middling, but last year they were top five, but a team that's kind of around the middle of the conference, and you lose a game early on, your season still matters at the end of it. You're going to have a yeah. lot more games in, I mean, at the end of October, early November that are coming that are going to have playoff implications. Like how, how, how often do we get in the regular season down the stretch where we have – you know, the Notre Dame-Clemson matchup where you have, you know, two teams that are battling. You rarely ever see those games. You usually see one team battling for a playoff spot. And, well, I think this team has a chance to knock off Alabama. I think all this does is make the regular season that much stronger. I I, I probably would have gone to the eight. The, the flip round. side of that coin, the flip side of that coin, Matt, is you're going to have a lot of teams understanding that they're going to have a lot of high-stakes football. A lot of these premier programs know that they're going to have long seasons of high stakes football, mm-hmm. and your out of your out of conference schedule is going to be an even bigger joke. No one's scheduling tough out of conference games anymore. It, it, that that's going to go away with this as well. That's, you know, we 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 have a big enough problem on our hands trying to win the Big Ten. Why the hell are we going to schedule Clemson? You're probably enough, right. You know, but like, again, we're kind of we've been kind of going that route for a while, and yes, it, 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 yes. we kind of. You know, I'm just poking holes in it. I, I'm going to be a fan. Hey, totally I'm going to be a fan of whatever they put on my slate. But the NCAA and these committees have a way of bungling these decisions and just completely leapfrogging from twelve. From excuse I, me, from I found four that interesting. I thought that was a little bit surprising that they just did that big. But like, also, you talk about those non-conference games, which again, we're, we you have them maybe one or two a year now total, where teams actually match up, and that's because they agreed to a deal ten years ago to do it. Um, but yeah, you're not going to see those in week one, but what you are going to start seeing now is opening round of the playoffs, number five, or number six, Wisconsin hosting number eight, you know, Michigan or something like that, where you're going to see these unique non-conference matchups. Granted, they're not regular season games, but you're going to see some unique matchups of teams playing in places you don't really see them. And you might, you're not going to get them at the beginning of the year, but you are going to start to see them at the end. So at least we're going to get them, I feel like, at some point where – Quite honestly, one, they're going to matter one last, one last hole I want to poke here, Go too. Ahead. I love it. This is, this is good it's, discussion. It's, it's, called, it's called the Power Five, correct? Yes, correct. The Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC, the SEC, yes. and the Big 12. Mm-hmm. The Power Five. Correct. And you're handing out four buys. I know you can't, hold, I know you can't mm-hmm. hand out five buys, but who are you giving the finger to? Is it going to be that plain to see that after conference championship weekend that, well, the Pac-12 or the ACC team, like, how are you going to decide who has to play next week? Yeah, Is that, that not mean, an issue? You know, like that's, what? That, that's going to be, I think that's still where the rankings kind of kick in, where you're going to see the, like that, that top four 
you see yeah, on that's, Tuesday that's nights. Po- still, that's I, I agree. That's a little that's bit. The point odd. is that there's always going to be a cutoff line, and yeah. the idea, the idea of moving the, the idea of moving the college football playoff to an eight team or even a twelve team tournament is to move that is to move that, for lack of a better term, the fuck you line. The like, mm-hmm. part of my language, but the the sorry, thanks for playing. Better luck next year, Gilmore line. To thirteen, to that, to that drop off to thirteen, mm-hmm. or to that drop off to nine. You're now giving an fu line at four. You're going to have to give the finger to the fifth best team in the nation and say you got to play next. There's just it's just not ironclad to me. That's why I'm selling on it. It's not ironclad, but I don't think there's any system that would have been 100 percent ironclad. Because if you go to eight, which I think that was the consensus that everybody goes through, like what is the reward for being number one? There's really not. You, you get a buy. Number you, eight would get a buy. No, 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 you, no, no. Excuse me, excuse me. You'd get the number. You'd get the number eight team in the nation. That's well, your reward. Go. If you're the number five, yeah, you're not getting the buy, but you're playing the number twelve team in the nation, who, by all accounts, is probably going to be a two or three loss team. That yeah, you don't want to have to play them, but you should probably beat them. And if you can't beat them, like you don't deserve to be in that. Like that's why. About that's why six. More, like you need to win the championship. That's why six with buys at least moves to that moves that fu line to seven. And it gives buys to the one and two. I, so I, I, I was, was just a proponent of six. There's other ways. There's other ways to do it. I, there were, but at the end of the day, we're going to get more playoff games. And I'm not bring back the BCS. Okay. <laughs> just let just let me pick, let me pick who's going to play for the national championship. Just let. Uh, let it's going to be Nebraska and Tennessee. <laughs> god. Oh god, uh, Miami's in there too now. Matt, that's all I got for you. Do you have anything else for me? I don't think so. Oh, you know, I would be very remiss if I did not bring this up. Uh, Tim Rooney, father of the podcast, recorded mm-hmm. his second hole in one of his lifetime on, uh, on wow. Saturday. Wow! Like club number five. I did not get the club choice. Uh, I was was in a, a spot of very poor reception on Saturday, so I could not get the text through. But the text came through to us. Got the picture of him holding the ball, all that. Number five. His first was at uh, with number sixteen in Lost Dunes. He's now got him on both of his courses in Michigan. Second hole in one of his lifetime. Tim Rooney, hats off. That that's, is, yeah, that's that's big time. That's big. Time. That's exciting stuff out of TJR. Anytime you can put a one on the card, um, it's a very man, good thing. He had my mom out there on the course with him. He the was, man he was, deserves it. He had the witness. He had there's, the picture. He had all of it. That that was key. There's nothing like an ace to make a day around an entire summer. It's a summer. Uh, so a golf clap and a hat tip to TJR, one of our. Uh, Award-winning listeners here on the Moose and Moons podcast, but that is going to do it for episode two one zero of the pod. Alongside Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. Enjoy all the action coming your way. It is fun uh, to be a sports fan this time of year. We got playoffs everywhere you look. We got major championship golf, and we'll break it all down here on the Moose and Moons podcast, episode two eleven next week. But for now, he is Matt. I am Joe. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the state was phenomenal.